As you guys know, we are in week three of our story time sermon series. Story time. Story time. Um, Jesus spoke in stories, and we call them parables. And so um, today, we want to take a look at Luke chapter 12, verse 13 and 24, um, and we want to, I want to get right into the scripture this morning to start with. <clears throat> then someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, friend, who made me judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. And he's like, our story time. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and big, build bigger, barn, bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. Say fool. Fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any bird. Father God. So in, in, this, in this parable, there's a, there, there's a message around stewardship, right? There's some, there's some message around stewardship. And stewardship, right, Let's say in, in, in our, the way it should be in our context, stewardship should be the realization that everything that we have belongs to God. That's what sets us apart from the world. Stewardship is every, a realization that everything that we have belongs to God. It's, isn't it? We had a, we had a financial class uh, seminar a couple weeks ago. We had two weeks back to back. And it's important that we learn how to manage what is really on loan to us. If somebody gives you something, like if if somebody lends you out their 2023, you know, whose favorite car was Elias? He's not here. He says something like his favorite car is a Bugatti. Right? If somebody hands you the keys to that, right? That is not your Bugatti, but yet it's on loan to you. But when you drive it, guess what? You're probably going to be very careful. 
You don't want, you, you're not going to want nobody. You're, not, you're going to be like, you know what? I'm not even going to drive it around here because too many potholes. And you're going to, you're going to, you're going to take care of it because of how valuable and precious it is and the fact that it's on loan to you. Stewardship should be realizing that everything we have belongs to God and then using those resources that God has given into our lives for the accomplishment of his purpose. In today's parable, the man in today's parable is, is called a fool, a fool. The, the funny thing is that, that this person that God calls is a fool, right, in this parable, but funny thing is in the eyes of the society that we live in, we'd be like, yo, he made it. He's great. He's amazing. Like, we gotta, like he's got to give us classes and seminars so we can get like him. You know, there's a whole movement now. There's a movement now of people self-proclaiming themselves to be life coaches. I'm sorry. I, I have friends that, listen, I have friends that are life coaches. I'm not coming against you guys if you guys are watching this. I'm not. I'm not. My own brother-in-law now is something similar to that. I'm not coming against anybody specifically. But I'm going to tell you this. It's, it's, it's this movement of everyone just self-proclaiming themselves like, hey, I'm, I'm going to help you live your life. Matter of fact, let me put a seminar together. You guys just all pay $150. Come and listen to me tell you how you can live your life. You, wanna, you guys want to save some money? Look, it's right here. <laughs> don't pay nobody nothing. Matter of fact, don't even, if you, don't want, you don't even have to buy a Bible. I'll give you one for free. All right? This, this right here will save you a lot of money from what's happening today of how to live your life, how to be a man, how to be a woman, how to be this. I mean, it's all right here. It's all right there. So if the world would have said, this guy made it, this guy's great, this guy's amazing, and really the word calls him a fool. Now, a fool in biblical language is not saying that someone is like an idiot or dumb or anything like that or has any type of disability. What, what, what they're talking about, a fool in the Bible is descriptive of someone that lacks spiritual discernment. So we are fools if we do not heed the wisdom of God. If God says go right and you go left, you're a fool. If God says serve me and you don't, you're a fool. If God says commit, be consistent, be loving, and you don't, you're a fool. All right. I think you guys are getting it. Who was it, Mr. T? What did you say? I pity the fool. I pity the fool. <laughs> the middle here was like, Mr. T. Mr. T. Who's Mr. T? Google Mr. T. Look, they're already in the back Googling. They're already in the back Googling right there. Um, <laughs> so, so the question that I want you guys to hold on to as we go on throughout today's message is, number one, oh, I didn't start this. Hold on a second. All right, that's, all right, we're ready, we're ready. Is why did the Lord consider this man a fool? And, and I also want us to challenge ourselves to ask ourselves and be honest 
as we go through this, am I a fool? Don't tell me. Don't raise your hand. That's for you and God to figure out, right? I mean, already God already knows. This is for you to figure out. But am I a fool in God's eyes? So this is what's happening here. Jesus is in the middle of a sermon. He's preaching, right? He's teaching. He's preaching. The multitudes are around him. And suddenly he's interrupted by this one dude. He's interrupted who's not happy about uh, the division, the unfair division uh, between him, his brother um, and himself of his father's estate. Now, when I read this, I, I was almost comforted, right? Because reading this story, it shows me that even Jesus Christ couldn't keep everybody's attention. Um, because if you guys read the, if you, if you read, if you read the, the verses before it, he's talking about confessing. He's talking about um, confessing Christ before men. So the conversation, Jesus is teaching them how they need to confess Christ before men. And this guy gets up. He's like, yo, real quick, can you tell my brother to give me what's mine? <laughs> so I was like, oh, it's not just me. Jesus dealt with this too. All right. In, in, in verse 13, he gets up and he says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, apparently this guy was the younger of the two brothers. And according to Jewish law, the older one got the bigger chunk. He gets the bigger chunk right? He gets the bigger chunk, and he usually would be the executor of the estate. So father passes away, oldest son steps up, the most, most of the inheritance is his. He then says, you know what, little bro, you can have this, and you can do this, and he kind of like divides the estate, but usually keeps it mostly to himself. That's what happens. The thing that gets me is that not only did he interrupt Jesus Christ in his teaching. Like, it it would be awkward, I think, to anybody, mostly to me, if one of you guys just stood up in the middle of a sermon and not even talked about the sermon. Like, if I'm talking about, like, the rich fool, and you guys just jumped up, and like, so what kind of whale was that? What kind of fish was that Jonah got swallowed up in? Like, so random, Right? that it would have brought some, a lot of awkwardness to the room. I would have been like, we'll talk about that later. To try to keep moving on, everybody would have been like, what was that? So this guy gets up completely, completely random and doesn't, he doesn't ask Jesus. He interrupts him and he demands. Isn't that crazy? That's, that's, that's kind of like, whoa, you interrupt and you demand? So he said he didn't really ask for a decision of what a fair deci- uh, division would be. He demanded, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. This, exactly. That's how I felt. And that's, and, and that's how many of us do with God. We go before God and we tell God what to do. We tell God, you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you need to do this. And then we hide behind this, this, this warped theology 
of I need to speak it so that it can happen. Right? This warped and, and damaged theology that, that people believe somehow that we are God, right? And that we can just say it and it happens. And so what happens is we go before God in prayer and because we think that we're all these little mini gods, right? We begin to tell God what he needs to do. And we begin to demand and demand and demand. And we, before you know it, a lot of our prayer is just a list of demands, Jesus did not answer as he expected him to. <laughs> I, I, I think that, this, you know, I think that, you know, uh, Luke and, and, and some of the other disciples, they may have watered it down a little bit to make Jesus, you know, not taint his reputation a little bit. But, I mean, it, it just says here, he goes, who made me judge? Who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? I, I could imagine, like, I don't know. If, you know, I could imagine it coming out a little more. What? Who do you think I am? Why do you think I'm your judge? Why do you think I should, you know, but, you know, so he sums it up in this right here, right? And um, because it, I, Jesus refuses to be sidetracked. He, he, he's, he's on a mission. He's teaching. He's, he's got some points to make. This guy gets up in the middle of the sermon, in the middle of the teaching, does that to bring this whole... Beware of those people that are sent to your lives to sidetrack you from what God is trying to do. It happens so much. It happens so much. It happens so much. There are relationships that will sidetrack you. There are jobs that will sidetrack you. There's love of other things that will sidetrack you. Can I tell you, we were talking about, I think, just the... Things that we love that are not bad, but if we put them over God, then what happens is a sidetrack. So having money is not wrong, but the love of money is wrong, and then we're sidetracked. Our children, we love our children, but when we love them more than we love the Lord, we're sidetracked. Um, you know, and, and that goes with everything. Our spouses, we love them more than we're sidetracked. Beware of, and, and then sometimes these, these things that pop up, they don't seem bad. I mean, was this question like such a bad question? Here is, here is the Messiah. Here is the, you know, uh, uh, you know the Jesus, the, the teacher, and, and he should know how to do this. He should know how to answer this. He's a fair man. It was not, neither the time nor the place for such a question. And so sometimes things that don't seem bad pop up in times in our lives that is neither the time nor the place. And it takes, it takes your eyes and focus off of Jesus. Instead, Jesus doesn't make, he doesn't make a, a legal judgment, but instead he makes a moral one. And so he said Jesus knew that the family feud over this inheritance was deeper than just piece of land. You see, it had an underlying problem called Greed. In fact, when he says you in verse 14, in, in the original um, translations, it, you is plural, which means that he's not referencing just the younger brother who stood up. He's referencing both brothers, and he's, saying, he's pretty much saying that, that um, they both have a problem with greed. And as long as both brothers are suffering with greed, guess what? No arrangement would have satisfied. 
I split it in half? No, it's still not enough. I'm the older brother. I should have more. No arrangement would have satisfied if, if because the underlying problem would have, is greed. So Jesus tells them that the most important thing for him to do is to solve the inheritance problem. is not, It's not to, to figure that out, but for his heart to be changed. A change of heart is what he says. Um, how, much, how many of us can be honest? Well, don't raise your hand. It's self-honesty here, right? We're honest with ourselves. We say that when we go before God, our prayers um, are many times asking God to change the situation in our lives. We go before God like, Lord, you got you to gotta change this for me because it's, not doing, it's, it's bothering me or I'm going through some hard things. And we pray for the change of the situation as, a, as opposed to, Lord, I don't know what's going on. Change my heart. Maybe I need to see this the way you see it. Are we praying for a change of situations or are we praying for, a change, for God to change our heart? That's crazy. Listen, I, I hope, I hope, I hope that we can, like, and like I said, when we meditate on the, on the word throughout the week, that we begin to apply some of this. Let's try it out. Try out your prayer tonight. Try about changing your heart instead of changing situations, right? Let's, let's try it. Let's try it. How dare, how would, I would dare to say that the majority of our prayers, even me included, is about God, you need, you know, help, help me change this or change, change this, like changing situations as opposed to changing my heart. In verse 15, Jesus, uh, he, he, he uses the occasion as a teachable moment. I remember, I remember I, we, uh, we had, when we were uh, with the teens many years ago, we would use situations in our life for teachable moments, teachable moments. We make a teachable moment out of everything, and Jesus takes advantage, and he, and he, and he makes this a teachable moment. He said, take heed and beware of the covetousness, covetousness of one's life, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. When he says, take heed and beware, He's literally saying, like, you need to be on guard. You need to be on guard um, against all kinds of greed. The area of danger for this man was greed Covet- or covetedness, covetousness. And it means, what that word means is to lust, the lust to have more than one fair, one's fair share. A, or, or grasping for more that is for more and never satisfied, never satisfied. And in other words, it's wanting more of what you already have enough of. Think about it. Are, are, are any of us guilty? Are any of us guilty of wanting more of what we already have enough of? All right, let's do, let's do a, we have, we have a little bit of time. Let's do this exercise together. Ready? I want you to sit back, take a deep breath. If you, if, if you get distracted the way I do, close your eyes. If not, you can leave them open. I want you to imagine this because, you see, from the standpoint of material wealth, Americans have difficulty realizing how rich we are, okay? So this exercise is to say, how rich are we? Real quick. So imagine this. Imagine your house right now. It's in your head. All right? 
Now, remove every piece of appliance, furniture, any type of electronic, remove everything out of your house except for maybe a little table and a couple of folding chairs, right? And for beds, imagine just using some blankets on the floor, all right? That's the first one. Take away all your clothes. Look into your closet, right? Take all your clothes and put them in bags and get them out of the house and just keep, right? Look in there and see what is your oldest suit or your oldest dress, right? Keep that one. Keep that one. Everything else goes. Keep one shirt. Keep one pair of shoes. And it's the worst pair that you have. The worst pair. Look, some people, when, they, when I mentioned the sneakers, what? Yeah, throw all of them away. Throw all of them away. Just keep one, and it's got to be the crustiest ones you got. Empty the refrigerator and the pantry, and I want you to keep one small bag of flour, a little bit of sugar and salt, a few potatoes, maybe a couple onions, and a bag of dried beans. That's all you have. Take, go to your bathroom, take the toilet out of the bathroom, take the sink out of the bathroom, and there's your bathroom, that hole on the floor, and, and take all the wires, electricity out of your house. Yeah, I know. Matter of fact, a matter of fact, change your house, and, and now it's become a smaller shed. So think about the smallest room in your house right now, and imagine that being the entire house. Imagine the roof being a slab of tin, and the floor being dirt. Okay? And then... Take your house out of your neighborhood, which, by the way, some of us um, don't like our neighborhood anyways, and some of us do, but it doesn't matter what neighborhood you live in. Take your house out of the neighborhood and put it in a, one of those neighborhoods they call, they call, it, a, they call it a shanty town. You guys ever see pictures of, like, the ghettos in Brazil? That they look, they're outside the mountain, like, they're on the side of the hillside, and it's just 10 little tin shacks, 10 shacks. That's what a shanty town is. And then... And then cancel all newspaper subscriptions, magazines, book clubs, all. You have no streaming anymore. You have no cell phone. You have any of that. You can't read anyway, right? Um, get one radio, and that's for the whole shantytown. So it's placed in the center, and all the kids and adults can crowd around it to listen to it. Move the nearest hospital that you may have or clinic Put it 10 miles away, and instead of a doctor being in charge, you have a midwife. There's no doctor. Throw away all bank books, accounts, stock certificates, pension plans, insurance policies, and then replace it with a $10 bill that you, that, that's, your, that's all your savings, and you have it hidden somewhere in that little shack. Give the head of the household a few acres to cultivate where she could raise a little bit of money to, to keep the $10 
stash while he can make a couple dollars to feed his family on a daily basis. But the thing is, he'll make his money and a third goes to the landlord, a tenth goes to the money lenders, and the rest goes to trying to maintain his family. Take off 25 or more years of your life expectancy. Some of us complain about the financial situations that we find ourselves in and don't realize how rich we really are. And a lot of times we're in the financial situations because we've, we've taken money that was never ours to take to in the first place. A lot, of t- a lot of times we find ourselves crushed because we're like, oh, I want that. It costs 5000 I don't have 5000 Oh, but this card has 5000 Here, and we get it. By comparison, how rich are we? And with wealth, we have to understand that with wealth comes responsibility to use it wisely, to not be wasteful, and to help others. I mean, think about that. What are we doing with what God has given you? What are we doing with that? Proverbs 21, 26 says, some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. I'm not going to make this message about tithing and offering right now, and, I, and, I'm, and I, always, I always feel a little uncomfortable discussing this, but if I don't discuss these things, then I'm doing you a disfavor because these things are all biblical. Like, you shouldn't feel like, oh, I have to tithe or, oh, I have to give offering to the church. Look what it says. It says the godly love to give. That's why y'all, I know you guys have seen that clip on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram of the dancing people coming up to the front to give their offering. Nobody? Can, can you, you seen it? People dancing all sorts of funny ways while they go to give their offering to the front. They're expressing that they are giving in joy. That they are joyful givers the, word, the way the word says that we should be. But the word also talks about being greedy. It says in Ecclesiastics 5.10, it says, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Yet, that's how we live. That's how so many people think these days. That's why so many people are just trying like how to get rich, how to get rich fast, how to get rich fast, how to get rich fast, all these schemes, because they feel like it's going to bring them happiness. You know what the motivation behind like every casino, the casinos and stuff, you know what the motivation is behind it? It's greed. It's greed. All their advertisements paint this picture of if you have, you can win money here, and if you have this money, you'll be happy. If you, if, if, you have, if you win this money, this, you know, you, you'll feel better or you can, do, you can do this or you can do that. It's about getting something for nothing mentality, right? In verse 15, Jesus now addresses the subject of greed by his words of caution. He says, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. But we know that greed, right? tries to convince us of just the opposite. When we're greedy, we're saying the more we have, the better we are. The more I can get, the happier I will be. The more I can stock up, then the better I'll be. 
in the beginning of verse 16, we see five reasons. In, in, beginning in verse 16 we'll, 16, we'll see five reasons that show us how foolish this man was and his way of thinking. I want to start with number one. Number one is, first, we are fools when we do not give God the credit for things that he has done. If we don't give God the credit for anything that has happened, we're a fool. Verse 16, then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain man yielded plentifully. This parable, he's addressed to the multitude and... Um, it's important that, we, that I want you guys to understand that he, his parable doesn't say that uh, he, he, this man is being condemned for being wealthy. He's not condemning the man for being wealthy. Um, and, and if we think about it, what his wealth was acquired, according to the beginning of the parable, doesn't, it doesn't suggest that he did anything like bad. Right? He's a man. He's worked hard. He's got this field going. So it doesn't seem like he got it um, dishonestly. So, but, but um, he says, Jesus says, a certain man worked very hard, right, and accumulated a great fortune. He then, say, he then said that the ground of a certain rich man, the ground of a certain yield, a rich man yielded plentifully. The man worked, true, right? And he worked very hard, true, check. But apart from the blessing of God that he could have encountered it was the blessing of God that he encountered a harvest at all. Right. You see what I'm saying? Um, the, 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 the farmer looked at this amazing harvest. When he saw the amazing harvest, all he saw was what he had done, and he did not see the hand of God. He didn't see the hand of God. It didn't say, it, and listen, listen, when Jesus speaks, every word is important. He said, Jesus says, the ground of a certain Rich man yielded plentifully. As much as I can do what I can do, God is still in control of all the elements. And so Jesus is saying the ground did this. The man had no part in that. The ground did. But yet this man could not give God the credit. You know, he could have been like, man, I worked hard, I worked hard, and look what God did. Look how God allowed the harvest to come up from the ground and how God this and that. And none of that is being said. He only saw his own effort. And the sad thing is that we do this today. We only see our own efforts. Right? Oh, we look around at what we have. Like, oh, I worked hard for that. Oh, I really earned that. And we work, we, we, we look at the list of our accomplishments like, man, whew, I did good. That grass looked good, especially when you cut it. When you finally cut the grass, you sit back and be like, yep, that was all me. I had to cut the grass today. You look and you're like, wow, look what I have. Look what I've accomplished. Look what I've done. But we don't think of God. Are we even humbled that God chose us to allow those blessings in our lives? Think about it. When you look at the things that you're like, all oh, like, man, I can't believe God, you chose me to have this. How many of us have said that? 
uh, I saw like three hands. I get it. It's not common. It's not common. We need to do that more. We need to get in the habit of looking at what we have, looking at our family, looking at our, uh, our job situation, looking at everything and say, wow, God, I'm humbled that you have blessed and allowed me to have these things. You did all this in my life. If you, look, if you, if you have a wall with degrees, you're like, man, I, Lord, I am humbled that you gave me the wisdom and an understanding to accomplish the things. I would, have, I would not have been able to do any of this if it wasn't for what you've done for me. Can we speak that way? Can we live that way? Secondly, we are fools when we make plans but leave God out. Man, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of this one. Um, Because before I came to Lighthouse, I had plans. I made my plans. And like you guys know, they involved me moving to another state. And God was like, oh, who, who picked that? Oh, God, you know I want to, oh, you. Well, you know what I want, right? Okay. Okay. The next two verses in 17 and 18, it says this. It says, it says this in Luke 12, 17 and 18. It says, and he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this, and I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. Now, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with building a bigger barn, right? There's nothing wrong with the desire to build a bigger barn. It was actually wise and prudent. The problem was the fact that in this plan that he put together, you don't see anything about sharing. You don't see anything about, I'm blessed, so let me bless. You don't see anything about anybody else other than himself. Is it wrong to build a bigger barn and fill it up? No, it's not wrong. It's not wrong. But if you look at this, it was all about him, and he had no intention at all, according to his plan, to spread it out or to to share with anyone else at all. In the original original Greek scripture uh, translation, the pronoun my occurs four times, and he says I eight times. Even in these two verses that we read here, right? Even in these two verses that we've read today, he says I five times and my four times. That's almost 10 times referring to himself in like a couple sentences. Ready? I'm going to read it one more time and emphasize on it. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Since I have no room to store my crops, so he said, I will do this, and I will pull down my my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. Now, Now it stuck out to you when I mentioned it, right? You're like, oh, he did say a lot of my's and I's. So now you can see how selfish his thinking is. 
how selfish his thinking is that in his future plans, his, his future plans involve no, no one but himself. They involve no one but himself. He's confused between the two words of ownership and stewardship. That's what he's confused. He forgot, he forgot that he was not the owner, but the possessor and the steward of what he had. God is the owner and he is the steward. All that he had belonged to God. When we have what we have, we have to say, we have to kind of look at it like it's never gonna be mine, it's just alone. Let me manage this well. Proverbs 16, 9 says, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Man. Okay, thirdly, we're fools when we live only for the moment. Listen, I, I, I you know, and in, my, in, in my younger years, I used to like that, right? I used to enjoy that, like, um, what's, there's, a, there's a term that, that was thrown around. What's that? No, no, like, well, you only live, YOLO, you only live once. YOLO, you only live once or something like that. And then it was like, you got to live for the moment. Just enjoy life. Like, and so the thing is this, there's, there's nothing wrong with enjoying life as it comes, as it goes, right? But when you only live for the moment, when you only live for the moment, Verse 19 says, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to live for the moment. In this verse, although he addresses himself as soul, it's the physical life that he's really concerned about. This is physical life. He's not concerned about his soul, obviously. Isn't it? I, I, I don't know how I feel about this, so don't judge me too much, right? But there's a, she look, she's about to stay like, oh, what are you going to say? What are you, you going to say? Um, <laughs> no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Um, it, it, it's kind of it's vain when you see, I think it's kind of vain um, I don't know, but there's this new trend, or maybe it's an old trend. I just happened to see a video the other day when people go and they put a music or a song to like their morning, uh, morning motivation thing, and they go in front of a mirror and they do all sorts of dancing and things like that, and they're talking to themselves, and they're like, they're like, um, you can do this, and you can do that, and you can accomplish this. And anybody seen a video like that? Affirm, okay, affirmations, that's the word, that's the word. Where they, so there's like, you know, they just do this, these daily affirmations, personal affirmations, and they're going in front of the, 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 the mirror saying how great you can do, how great you are, how untouchable, how accomplishable, whatever, whatever the case may be. Now, I don't want you guys to, under, I, don't want, I want you guys to know that there's, there's nothing wrong with having confidence. We should all have confidence, especially if we're sons and daughters of a king. We should walk in confidence and authority. But there's a difference when we take, it's a difference when we take God off his throne in our lives, right? And we put ourselves there saying how we can do, 
how we can accomplish, how I am this, and I can do that, and I can, and, and then become, before you know it, it's like, where's God in all that? I can do this because I can do all things through Christ, not through Vince. Okay, that was the point. Oh, God, God. That was the point. <laughs> I told him, I mean, I wasn't going to say nothing bad, you know? And now I feel, and now I know what my dad goes through. My mom, she has a little notebook. She's like, don't say anything you shouldn't. And at the end, every Sunday night, every Sunday night is like, you said this, and maybe you shouldn't have said this, and you said that. That's just what we go through every Sunday night. That's just, <laughs> it, it helped, it's iron sharpening iron. She's helping me become better. Amen? This man thought that when he put his plan into action, that he would have been good to go for years to come, right? And all this is based on the fact that this man expected to be able to control the future harvests. Notice that? You got a lot right now. Okay, let's build it even bigger. Oh, that was me. Look at that. Look at that. I, I know, I know. All right, all right, I got it. Sorry, I moved too much. All right, so he builds this bigger and bigger barn, right, with the expectation that the earth would do the same thing every year. I mean, in his eyes, that he would do, because, you know, he didn't give God the credit. So he puts his, his plan into action, thinking that he can control the fate of the future crops. And what he envisioned in the future was his crops expanding and expanding and expanding under his control but nothing could be further from the truth. In James, he speaks to us about such an attitude. James chapter 4, verse 13 to 16. It says, look here. You who say today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and we will stay there a year. We will do business there and make profit. What you ought to say is if the Lord... Oh, sorry. That, that was quick. They changed the verses quick on me. How do you know what your life will be? Okay, I'm over here. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's been here a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say, what you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. So did you guys know that some of you were being evil and didn't even know it? Because you weren't saying, if God wants. You were just saying, you know what? We're going to go over here. We're going to do this. This is going to happen, and we're good to go. You're not saying anything bad, but it don't seem like you're saying anything bad, but according to the scripture, you are boasting about your own plans, which is evil. All you got to do is add if God wants, if the Lord wants us to. Because then what you're saying is, Lord, I have this plan, but your plan, or your plan will, uh, it, 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 it has priority over ours. It supersedes the word I wanted. Supersedes ours. 
the Bible doesn't discourage us from looking into the future with great expectation. And I don't want people to think that because I know there was a movement <laughs> in the 70s, I think it was, because my dad, I think, told me about it, um, where they were like, don't go to college, don't do this and that, Jesus is coming. Maybe it was, a little, maybe it was in the 60s or something. Um, it was like, Jesus is coming, don't worry about college, don't worry about this, just get your life right, give your life to the Lord. And it was like only focusing on that, but it wasn't like, forget the future because Christ is coming right now, Right? I'm not talk- and that's not what we're talking about here. I, the, the Bible doesn't say that. Um, but it does say that when we make our plans, whether in business and relationships or our personal lives, right, um, we have to do it with the perspective, understanding that God is ultimately in charge. Make your plans. Go ahead, make plans, but know that God is in charge. And he could change them. He could switch them up. And it's okay. It's all right. In other words, Plan your lives with humility because you are not the one that has the final say. So what does it say about our American concept of retirement? Because, you know, we just had a financial stewardship class, right? So how does this go hand in hand? I'm not against retirement. I'm not against, you know, um, saving or being smart with what we have now so that in the future, you know, you're not starving or homeless, right? Um, but perhaps God would like to look, look, have us look at it differently, right? Um, perhaps it's to see it as a time when we have more free income and greater time on our hands than ever before to do something for the kingdom of God. Fourth, are we fools when we store our treasure in the wrong places? We are fools when we store our treasures in the wrong places. According to the scripture, a fool is a man who leaves God out of any consideration, right? And um, in Psalms 14, 1, around there, it says that the fool has said in their heart there is no God. This man is a fool not because he verbalized this thought, but because he lived this in his life. You see what I'm saying? Like you don't hear him reference God in anything that he's done. You don't hear him reference God in the future plans that he has. So if you were to look at this man's life, he's a hard worker, right? He's, he's, put, he's harvesting his crop. He wants to build more. He's planning a future. He says, if I can store up enough, I'll be good to go. I could chill, drink, relax, party, whatever the case may be. But you don't see in his, whole, in his whole debut in the Bible, you don't see anything that references God or him having a relationship with God. He, so he didn't say out of his mouth, that there is no God. Because the Bible says a fool says that there is no God. But he lived his life as if there is no God. So we too are fools when we live our lives as if there is no God. Do we understand that? I know some of us, I don't think any of us here will go and be like, there is no God. Because I think most of us here uh, know that, yes, there is a God. So we're not going to go out and say, there's no God. But the way we live will, de- will demonstrate if God is real in your life or not. If there's relationship in your life or not. 
He's a fool in that he did not recognize that his material blessings came from God, nor did he recognize any obligation to God in the use of his possessions. Fools leave God out of their lives. There's a story that I want to share with you. Um, His name is George W. Truitt. He was a pastor that's well-known. He was invited to a dinner at the home of a very wealthy man in Texas. Right? So he goes to Texas. He has dinner with this guy. And after the meal, right, the host led him to, like, a balcony part to the house where they could get a view of the complete surrounding areas of this gentleman's estate, to say. He then turns and he says, he points to the oil wells that are going up and down, you know, in the dirt. And he says, 25 years ago, I had nothing. Now, as far as you can see, it's all mine. Then he looks in the opposite direction and he points at fields of grain and he says, that too over there is all mine. He turned to a third direction where there was hordes, huge hordes of cattle. And he said, they are all mine. And he pointed to the fourth direction, to a forest, beautiful forest that was vegetated and everything else. And that forest over there, that too is all mine. He paused, expecting Dr. Truett to compliment him on his great success and achievement. And Truett, placed one, placing one hand on the man's shoulder, took a deep breath, looked him in the eyes and began to point heavenly, heavenward and simply said, how much have you done in that direction? And the man hung his head and confessed, I never thought of that. This man spent his lifetime creating this wealth, creating all these things here on this earth focusing so much of his attention, so much of his, of his, of his energy, and, and so much of, uh, do you know how much we sacrifice, right? Some of, us, some of us don't see our family. Some of us don't, you know, we don't get a chance to like really enjoy life because we're slaving away at trying to make the next dollar. Did I get it? If bills got to get paid, they got to get paid. I get it. I'm not, I'm not against that. But then, We wonder why our lives are wishy-washy almost. And then we look at the division of time. You you guys should do that as an experiment to yourselves, right? Take, there's 24 hours in a day, right? How much of your day is going to everything else and how much of it is going to your relationship with the Lord? We invest so much in everything else. This gentleman told them, well, how much have you done for this? How much are you doing for the kingdom? Church, there's opportunity here for everyone to serve in ways that can help the kingdom. You guys heard me talk about children's ministry. 
There's ushers ministry that's available. There's so much, you know, outreach. There's all these areas that we can serve the kingdom. What are you doing with the gifts and the talents that he's given you? I know I put Jocelyn and Veronica on the spot. One time we were at like a, a little picnic or something at Rachel's house, I think, or something. And I heard that they were singing in the background. I said, wait, you guys sing? Why you don't sing at church? Never. I'm never going to sing at church. If God has given you a gift, if you are musically inclined, right, if you can sing, if you can teach, or sometimes, and you know what? Sometimes all God wants you to do is say yes, and he does the rest. I've known people that were not musically inclined and said yes to a musical calling, and God supernaturally gave them musical ability. Can, I, I, I've seen it with my own eyes. Are you willing to say yes? That's what God is asking. He goes, uh, um, the fool, the fool, uh, okay, there's a quote, that, there's a quote I want to read to you. It says, heavenly is scarcely a reality to a man who is not prepared to invest hard cash in its and its interests, but by the same token becomes more of a reality to the man who is. To be a fool is to have missed the point of life. Jesus says, this is the very night your soul will be demanded of you. In the Greek verb that uh, translated uh, demanded, if you, if you literally translate it the way it's written in, in that, in that uh, translation, it's like to be demanded back or required back, conveying this idea that life is like a loan that must be repaid back to God upon demand. He goes on in the second half of the verse 20 to say, those who will, those who will those things... Those whose will those things will be which you have provided. Long before the great philosopher Solomon made a comment on this very, very problem. Ecclesiastics chapter 2, verse 21 and to 23. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, then must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This too is meaningless, a great tragedy. So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It's all meaningless. You know, I read this, and, and the, the first thing that comes to my mind is, you know how we watch movies when, um, like, the, uh, the wealthy, spoiled brat kind of inherits all the money, and they don't know what to do with it, Right? Because their father worked really hard, their parents worked so hard, they, 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 hard, they labored, and they created this wealth, and then this kid who has done nothing then inherits it. It says, the verse says this, look at this. It says, um, some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, then must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great tragedy. I'm not against leaving our children um, finances if we can to help them with their future, 
But the worst thing that we can do is not teach them, right? Not teach them to work and to work for it. Now, since you can't take it with you, there's no need to wear ourselves out accumulating it. People say that the richest place is where? The cemetery, right? Everything you have one day will be left behind. It's, either, it's, it's, your, it's, it's yours now either to use wisely or to abuse. But one day it will be taken from you and you will stand before the Lord and you will have to give an account of how you used it. In closing... In closing, there was a missionary, Jim Elliott, who was killed by the Uka Indians, who he went to minister. And um, before, he, before he died, obviously, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that, he, that which he cannot lose. I'm going to say that again. He is, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Lastly, we are fools when we find ourselves in conflict with God's plan for our lives. Last verse, uh, the verse 21, it says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Riches have one major weakness. No matter how much money you have, it cannot buy you. <laughs> it, has no, it has no purchasing power after death. You can have $50 billion in the account and cannot buy you anything after death. You can't, you can't be like, yo, let me slide you a couple. Let me in. Let me in. There is no corruption in the kingdom of heaven. You can't pay nobody off. I just watched the El Chapo story, you know, the, the story they made about him. And it seemed like everyone was corrupted. Everyone was paid off. Everyone, he was able to operate for so long because of the corruption and all the money he gave out to everybody. You can't do that. Can't do that. There is no paying anyone off. There's no purchasing power after death. The rich towards God, the rich in God are those who use what God has given them for others. And there's numerous examples of that in the scripture. We see that we see people like the centurion who built a synagogue for the people to worship. And we see that in Luke chapter 7. In the home of Mary and Martha, right, and Lazarus, that they were always, they were constantly opening their home where Jesus found rest. The way we become rich towards God is to invest in his kingdom and the lives of others. Church, can we stand to our feet this morning? Prayer team, can you make your way up to front? There's five main points that we talked about, five points that many of us may be struggling with. We may be struggling with this, but we want to pray with you this morning. In conclusion, we said that we are fools when we don't give God the credit for the things that he's done.
Some of us, we just need to come before God and repent for thinking that we are the ones doing it all. We are fools when we plan, when we make plans and leave God out. We are fools when we live only for the moment. We're fools when we store our treasure in the wrong places. We are fools when we find ourselves in conflict with God's plan for our lives. Have you been a fool in the eyes of the Lord? This morning, there's several things that we want to pray for. One, obviously, if, if you have yet to accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, do not leave today without making the best decision of your life that you've ever made. And we want to pray with you if that's the case. We want to open the altar and you can come up and just tell them, I want to accept Christ. If you're watching online, you can put it there in the in the. Uh, chat there and one of us will definitely get in contact with you to pray with you and to speak with you the best decision you ever make in your life is to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior but I also want to make a calling I want to open the altar for other things we talked about some struggles struggles of Struggles that sometimes we just leave God out of the equation. We, 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 think, we think that we, we're okay. We think that we've done some things in our lives. We think that we've, we've made it or, or that, whatever the case may be, but we just don't include God in our lives like we should. We may not say that like, like there is no God, but we live our lives almost as there's no God. We come on Sunday, we check the box, but then we don't live the way we need to live. I heard a pastor say this, and I told Omar right before the service, I'm, I'll share with all of you. He was like, tell the whole church. I said, all right, I'll tell the church. I heard a pastor say this past weekend, he said, the church, people say the church is a hospital, right, where you can come and receive healing. He says, that's all great, but the church cannot remain a hospital. He's like, Yes, we are a hospital at one phase of your life. Then we become a family at a second phase. And then we become an army. He says the problem with staying like a hospital is that people only show up when they need something. He said this. He said, I, he, and this is a pastor that has a big church. He goes, he goes, if everyone were to show up to church on Sunday, we'd have over 500 people here. He's a, and I started, one, started seeing that people would come every other Sunday or they would come every two Sundays. I would see some of you this Sunday, maybe not next Sunday, and, and I would see somebody every once a month or whatever it came maybe. And he said that he started getting so frustrated that he stood up in front of his congregation and he rebuked them, saying, you guys are using me like a drug dealer. He says, you come to church when you want to fix you come to church every time you feel like you need something from God. He says, that's, what, that's, that's a hospital mentality of like, oh, let me go now because I'm not feeling so good. Let me go now because I need God to do something in my life. 
And what happens is if we stay a hospital, then that's what happens. There's no strength in this, in this church, in this body. Yes, we are a hospital first. We can't be a hospital in your life forever. It's time, it's, there's a point in your life that you need to grow up and learn how to take care of yourself. And that's where discipleship comes in. That's where you logging in on Thursday nights to find out what the Bible says and what it means happens. And then we become a family. How do we become a family? There's so many options. Look, they're having a luncheon. The kids got a, a barbecue. There's a tea party. There's all opportunities for community. Hanging out Sundays after church, nobody gets kicked out. So the community. And we become a family. And once we become a family, then we move forward and we become an army. Because it's, it's, we're not going to just sit here in these walls, get all comfortable, lazy, and, and, and not do anything for the kingdom. So what happens when we become an army? We come in here, we gear up, we go out there, and we preach the gospel. There are so many people dying on a daily basis, and they're going to hell. What are we doing about it? Who are you speaking to at work? Who are you witnessing to in your neighborhood? What are we doing about it? So the next calling that I want to open the altar to is simple. It's simple. Lord, I want, I'm ready to go to the next stage in my walk with you. I can't force anyone to go to the next stage in their walk with God. But if you're standing here today and you are satisfied with where you're at, stay in your seats. Stay right there. But if you are there, or you are here today and you say, I need more, I am not satisfied, I'm ready to go to the next step in my walk with God, to the next phase in my relationship with Jesus, then the altar is open and we want to pray with you this morning right here, right now. Father God, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, help us to acknowledge you in everything that we have. Help us, Lord, to include you in all our plans. Help us, Father God, to not just live for the moment, but to live for eternity. To eternity. Help us not to store our treasure in all the wrong places. The altar is open right now. It's a bold move. It's a bold move to say, I want more. I'm not happy where I'm at. I want more. I want more in my walk with God. I want more in my relationship with the Lord. I want more. I want more. I will not be satisfied with where I'm at. I'm not satisfied. Lord, give us wisdom and discernment so that we can live lives that are not foolish, that are not being a fool in your eyes, that we can 
Follow your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.